And welcome back to Out of Left Field. Mark Gregory, Charlie Winfield. Appreciate you hanging out with us today. Brought to you by Farm Bureau. And let's go to the guest line. Barry Winford, who played at Mississippi State 1986-1989. The pride of Woodland Hills Baptist Academy down on Interstate 55. Barry, appreciate you joining us. Yeah, good to uh, good to be with you guys. Hope everybody's doing well. Barry, I look back at 1986 to 1989, and you look at the mass of talent on campus at that time, and so many people will tell you, during that time frame, 87, 88, 89, you may have had as deep of a talented roster as any time in Mississippi State history. And, hey, Charlie and I both know how baseball guys are. When you look around the locker room, you see a bunch of guys who are very talented and have very big egos. I've been told by more than one person that you were kind of the glue to that team. How hard was it getting everyone to pull in the same direction when you've got so many big egos sitting in that locker room? You know, I don't know if there's anything that was uh, uh, overly specific about how that team pulled together, but we came out of... Of course, coming out of 85, that was a, a, a very special group of guys. And then, you know, 86, uh, we had a lot of guys that played on that team, and they saw how that 85 team did things. And then, of course, that just picked up the recruiting. And, you know, I can remember when uh, Pete Young and Richie Graham came on their recruiting visits. It just it was an easy, the way that team meshed together, the chemistry we had in the locker room, there was a lot of back and forth, uh, just banter with each other. No one took it too seriously. You know, for example, we still have a chat room that guys from 86 and 89 are on that little chat room, and we're on it constantly, uh, still taking digs at each other. It was just a, a, a unique group of guys that uh, had great chemistry. And, of course, you know, look, Coach Polk had his personality. He was not overbearing, and then, but you, then you had, you know, Pat McMahon that was kind of a, a little bit of the enforcer. We had great coaches that, you know, let each team kind of develop its own personality, and I think that's what made those teams successful. Barry, when we look back at your career, one of the things that I will always remember is the line drive to right field that drove in Brad Hildreth that won that first game in the SEC tournament in 87, a, a tournament we arguably uh, were lucky to be in. And then obviously uh, I think about the, the 89 season, and, and one of the things Bart and I talked about, the fact that you had 40 stolen bases in your career as a catcher. When you look back on your career, what what is that point of pride? What's that thing that kind of sticks out to you as one of your biggest memories? Well, of course, that uh, 87, uh, that 87 team, that was, a uh, again, a team that I think, Bart, I think we won 15 games in a row. And then, if you'll remember, Nelson Ariete caught a line drive off the face against uh, Mississippi College. And, of course, he was having a phenomenal year. Uh, he was kind of the ace of that staff. And then the very next night, I get run over at home plate, get a broken jaw, and a subdural hematoma. So back to back nights that um, you know both of us got put out of uh, commission for uh, for quite a while, and and um, the team kind of not because we were out, but we kind of started struggling a little bit. I can remember we went into the second to last weekend series um, against Kentucky, and we struggled against Kentucky. It's the first time I saw Coach Pope literally show anger. That was a long bus drive home. When we got home, he stood up in the front of the bus. He said, if I see anybody on this field the rest of the week, you're off the team. So we didn't even practice that week before we went to play Alabama. Uh, we swept Alabama, got into the SEC tournament, and then obviously had an incredible uh, tournament run. And opening up against uh, really probably the number one team in the country, 
Derek Lilliquist and Chris Carpenter on the mound. And to win that first game, of course, I was wearing a look like a football helmet to protect my jaw. And um, you know, to get that to get that base hit and uh, for us to win that first one. And of course, there was a lot of heroes during that uh, you know during that tournament. Jody Hurst had a, a phenomenal tournament. Uh, but yeah, it's hard not to look back at that '87 team and how we had that good magical run and. And then coming back on the bus, when we got to the state line, people lined up uh, all the way to Starville. Yeah, that's, a, that's, a, that's a memory I'll never forget. Talking to Barry Winford, played at Mississippi State 1986 to 1989, catcher on those ball clubs. And, Barry, when I think of those, uh, th- those pitching staffs from that time frame, the thing about baseball, it's amazing. You, you talk to baseball guys, they have the memories. You talk about not practicing at all that week of that Alabama series. That's the first time I've heard that. But I can guarantee you, you could tell me right now, if you had a runner at third base and one out, and you had to have a strikeout, and you had Bobby Reed on the mound, what are you throwing? Well, Bobby had a, a phenomenal sinking fastball because uh, he got a lot of ground balls. Uh, he had a kind of a cut fastball, a uh, semi-slider. Bobby probably didn't get the credit that uh, he deserves. Bobby was uh, probably one of the best all-around pitchers ever come through that program. And, you know, Bobby is a, uh, you know, Bobby got drafted by the uh, Rangers, and uh, I did too, and uh, I actually got to catch him in the minor leagues a little bit. So that was a, that was kind of a unique deal for us. But, but Bobby Reed just had a, he didn't walk a lot of guys. He would put it in the strike zone. It's amazing how many guys are big ground balls. But if you had, yeah, I would either throw his sink, sinking fastball or uh, his cut fastball slider in that situation. And the thing about being a catcher, too, is you have to be part psychologist because you look at a Bobby Reed who was very deliberate on the mound, and then all of a sudden you think of a guy coming on the back end like Pete Young. And then you had Tracy Jones with that good hard breaking ball. What was it like kind of being the psychiatrist with different styles of guys out on the mound because they pitch so many different ways well no, no question a catcher has to be a, a little bit of a psychologist you need to you, you need to know the personalities of those pitchers and sometimes you have to go out there and you have to you know pat them on the back you may have to go out and tell a joke or you may have to get in somebody's kitchen one thing about most of those guys they were so so top-notch competitors that uh it didn't you didn't have to get in their kitchen they those are the guys that uh they were tougher on themselves but some guys you would have to go out there and kind of get them to, to relax a little bit now pete young that's a whole different story uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you just you just want to make sure that Pete didn't put in somebody's ear we were playing auburn and Pete came in, and the first guy he's going to face is uh, Frank Thomas. Well, Frank decided while Pete's doing his warm-up pitches that he would take a knee as close to the batter's box as he could. And I'm looking at Pete going, oh, he, he's going to throw one at him. So I ran out and I said, Pete, please do not throw one at him. I said, I can't tackle that guy. You'd be on your own. Uh, but, uh, yeah, Pete was uh, all those guys. But Pete was a unique uh, unique guy. And uh, when when you got the ball in Pete's hand, you felt like you had a chance to win the game. Barry, unfortunately, we all grow up and uh, get too old to play baseball. You've become a, a banker now, priority one bank. And there's obviously some uncertain times in baseball games along the way, but uncertain time in the economy right now. One of the things that Bart and I hear all the time now is, hey, there are new programs, there are new loan packages, new government programs for people to take advantage of. And everybody says, what do I do? Who do I talk to? What does somebody do if they've got a small business? Where do they go in this time? 
Well, SBA, as we're speaking here, I just got uh, the latest guidelines from the Small Business Administrators. We are going, all banks in the country are going to step into the shoes of SBA, and we're actually going to be, by default, the uh, SBA lender. So any small business out there right now, there's a, a paycheck protection plan that's come out that will allow any small business to apply. You know, they can come directly to their, uh, to their bank, and uh, they can apply for a loan. And I'm going to call it a loan initially because that's the way it'll be. That will allow them to keep people on the payroll for the next eight weeks. At the end of that eight weeks, uh, if certain criteria met, met, then the loan will be forgiven, debt-free and uh, tax-free. So that's a uh, it's a great way for small businesses to get access to money. It looks like April 3rd, which will be this Friday, is when uh, people will be able to again make those applications and uh, get in the pipeline to get. $350 billion that's been put in this program. Barry, we appreciate you joining us, man. It was great to talk with you. Thank you, guys. Y'all take care. Well, thanks, Barry. Good stuff. And when we come back, we'll take a look back at Bulldog History, brought to you by Country Pleasing Sausage. You're listening to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau.